Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Thank you, Don. Thank you for that reading. And uh, welcome, welcome to City Church. If you are just tuning in, my name is Femi Oshunui. I'm lead pastor of City Church. And you've come to the time where we are going to, into the preaching of God's word. Now, we are at the last sermon of a series that we've been going through called Intimacy with God. Now, it's not a bad thing if you're coming at the last sermon. I pray that God will use this one, you know, to bless you. But you can catch up with the other four on our sermon podcast called The Gospel in Lagos. And before we get into this uh, passage, can I just ask for God's presence and God's enablement? Dear God, um, we've been speaking about what it means to get closer uh, to you, closer with you, to be more intimate with you. And as we look through your word uh, or from your word, oh God, to consider this, the only way it's really going to imprint in our hearts is if you move. Is if you move by your spirit, if your spirit illuminates our eyes. And so we're asking now for the Holy Spirit to be with us, to illuminate our eyes to see Jesus Christ, to bring us closer to the Father. Please let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. Now, some of us know this experience I'm about to describe. You know how a friend of yours or a family member just starts a new business and they tell you about it. They tell other family members and friends. So what do we do? We patronize them. It may be a product that they are selling or it may be a service. We patronize them and, you know, we do so. Um, Not because they have a proven track record. It's because we love them. Our prior love for them makes us patronize them in the business. And then a couple of months pass. And then you stop patronizing them. You start to reduce the amount of patronage you give to them until you stop. Why? Maybe because they delivered a bad product to you or a substandard product. Or maybe they delayed in the service. After a while, you can't take it anymore, and so you end. And then we do the uncomfortable thing of trying to post, saying we don't have money, you know, not talking about that relationship. You all know what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you are doing it to some people now, or maybe some of you now understand why they're not calling you back and making orders. Now, the question is this. When we stop patronizing them, does that mean that we do not love them? No, of course not. In fact, it was the love that we have for them that enabled us to enter into a business relationship with them. But even though we love them, the result is what is going to determine whether that business relationship is something that is good or not. The result. We do not enter because of the results. But we are going to stay if only we see results. Or we are going to consider whether this is a good relationship if, uh, based on whether or not they deliver results. Now, throughout this series, We have tried to make the case, we try to make the case that we should pursue intimacy with God actually because God is good in himself, not because we're saying you want to get this thing from God. Look, if you're trying to pursue a relationship with God, just simply based on if you give me this thing, then I'll get close to you. 
then you are not talking about the Christian God. You are not talking about the true God. That is an idol. But having said all of that, can I say this to you? If you pursue a relationship with God, if you get closer and intimate with God, it is guaranteed to deliver amazing results. We don't go in because of the results, but if you go in, you will see amazing results. And that's what this final passage that we're going to look at is all about. You see, Paul is speaking to the Christians at Ephesus. He's very concerned about their unity. Earlier in the chapter, he tells them that the gospel that he preaches is able to unite them across ethnic lines. Those who were non-Jews and those who were Jews were going to be brought into this new family of God. That's why he calls the Father, the Father from whom every family on earth derives its name in verse 14. And because he wants them to be united, because he wants God to use that unity to, um, uh, that unity to achieve amazing things, Paul says this, I'm praying for you. And I'm really praying about one specific thing. You know what it is? Power. Paul wants them to have power. Let me tell you something. If you pursue a relationship with God, there is only one result you will get. Power. And I'm praying that at the end of this sermon, you will realize just how much power how much power you can have by pursuing an intimate relationship with God. And the converse, how powerless you will be when you stay further and further away from him. And what you'll find in this passage is that Paul closely relates love and power together. And so in this, in this sermon that we've titled, Experiencing God's Power, I want us to look at it under headings that have to do with love. First, the explanation of love, second, the experience of love, and third, the evidence for love. The explanation of love, the experience of love, and the evidence for love. I want to speak about two concepts quickly, and I'll use two songs, right? Two songs that came out in the 90s. The first was in 1998. It was by a hip-hop group called The Locks. Right? They weren't very good. They didn't release very many songs that many people know. But there was one song they released in collaboration with Lil' Kim and DMX. You know what it was called? It was called Money, Power, Respect. Money, Power, Respect. And their thesis, right, comes from these words. It says, what's the key to life? Money, power, respect. What you need in life? Money, power, respect. See, what they were saying is, for you to get power, you need money. And when you get power, people will respect you. Notice, you get, you get power by obtaining money. But when you get power, people respect you. In other words, they were preaching the love of power. And notice the direction of the effect of the love of power. People will respect you. In other words, the love of power is a contracting force. It brings people in. It makes it smaller. People come towards you. Seven years earlier, though, there was another song that was sung, a Grammy-winning song by the great Luther Vandross. You know what it's called? The Power of Love. In it, Luther Vandross, part of the lyrics, uh, one section of the lyrics, it says, tell everyone you see how much better the world could be 
for them, for you, for me, with the power of love. Notice what Luther Vandross is saying that is different. He's saying that with the power of love, that the world could be a better place for them, for you, for me. In other words, Luther Vandross is saying that with the power of love, when you think about the power of love, it is an expanding force. It is not one that is bringing, that is bringing things towards one person. It is one that then touches all people. I don't know whether Luther Vandross read his Bible a lot, but he is resonating with Paul in this passage. Because Paul tells us, yes, I'm going to pray for power. We should pray for power, verse 16. I pray that, we skip all the descriptors, he's saying, I pray that he may strengthen you with power. End of verse 17, he says, and I pray that you, when you skip all the different things, says, may have power. But it's not often the way Christians think about power. You see, when we think about power, think about the different kinds of power we want. We want wealth power. Why do we want wealth power? It's so that our enemies or our rivals will know that we have arrived. Some of us want spiritual power. Why do we want that spiritual power? We want to deal with spiritual wickedness, which really is we want to deal with all our enemies. We want to bring them down. We want to show people that power past power. We want to have self-promoting miracles with this spiritual power. Another one is intellectual power. When we get intellectual power, when we know things, we want to show people how much we know and how much they don't. This isn't the way Paul envisages this power. Because you see, that power is really the power, of, is really the love of power. It is a power that is direct, is a power that is directed towards ourselves. It is as a result of the love of ourselves, not the love of God or the love of people. In fact, Paul speaks very markedly about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 5. Listen to what he says about the kind of love that is directed only towards ourselves. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, without love. Not lovers of the good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he says, if you are that kind of lover, guess what? Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Paul says, when you love yourself more than you love God or you love other people, you are effectively powerless. Even when you have power. It's not an amazing thing that the most powerful person described in the Bible in terms of strength is Samson. Samson could lift up a city gate. Samson could tear uh, a lion, rip it apart like it was a piece of cloth. Samson could th kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And yet, when you get to verse 19 of chapter 16, where is Samson? He is absolutely powerless on the lap of Delilah. Why? Because Samson, for all his strength, was a lover of himself, not a lover of God. And the Bible says when you love power that way, even when you have that power, you're ultimately powerless. 
And so what Paul is trying to tell us here is don't confuse the love of power with the power of love. The love of power is a contracting force, but the power of love is expanding. What do I mean? Maybe we can actually consider this a little bit more biblically in this passage because it is rooted in the nature of God. If you want power, God's power, you need to experience the love of God. That's what verse 18, verse 17 and 18 tell us. You see, notice, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, then may have power. He then says, so that you can grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You have to experience God's love to experience God's power. Paul says, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Don't put it the wrong way. Get God's love, you get God's power. If you aim at God's power without his love, you will get neither of them. And that's really because it's in the nature of God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, we are told God is love. God is love. Now, if God is love, he's saying God is love from all eternity. We know that love is always something that is directed outwardly. If God is love, then who was he directing that love towards? You see, because the Bible doesn't first say God is power or is almighty from the very beginning. Because who was he exerting power on? But he says God is love. In other words, he was loving someone from the very beginning. But who else is eternal except God? That then brings you to the heart of the Christian God. That is, he is one, but he is not singular. He is one being, but he is not one person. So he was loving himself from all of eternity. We are introduced to that God. We see the Father in verse 14, but we meet Christ, the Son, God the Son, in verses 17, 18, and verse 21. We meet the Spirit as well in verse 16. This is the Godhead. One God, but three persons. And so from all eternity, what was happening is that the Father loved the Son. Love was coming from all eternity. The Father loved the Son. And the measure of that love for the Son, as it's going outward, the measure of that love, the carrier of that love, is the Spirit. The Love of the Father is always directed towards the Son by what? The Holy Spirit. This is why when God the Son became a human being, the person of Jesus Christ, and he was being baptized in Matthew 3, verse 16 to 17, notice what happens. We said the Spirit is the one that brings about love. Well, I should have said this also. This God that had loved the Father, this, this God of love, right from the very beginning, it was the overflow of this love that created the world. That's why when the world was being created, what did he say? He said that the Spirit hovered like a dove. God created. The Spirit hovered up, um, above the waters. And then God said, let there be light. The power of God came to create out of his love. Because the Spirit came. And so that when this God, the Son, became a human being and was being baptized in Jordan River, I said in Matthew 3, verse 16 to 17, when the, it says that the Spirit came as a dove upon Jesus. And then, what do you expect? If the Spirit brings the love of God, he now says, this, the Father says, this is my Son whom I love. 
And therefore, even those who are now the followers of Jesus Christ, who then are people who have the love of God, what do you think happens? It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the Spirit, God's love has been poured in our hearts. God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The direction of God's love always comes with the Holy Spirit. But there's something I want you to notice. When Jesus Christ was about to ascend to heaven, he told his disciples that you will carry on my work. But for you to carry on my work, you need to wait. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And you say, oh, the Holy Spirit, okay, the love of God, isn't it? Yes, but that Holy Spirit is not describing that way. Jesus says this in, in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, and the utmost part of the world. Notice what he's saying. They will receive power. But I thought the Holy Spirit is the one that, that brings the love of God. Exactly. When the love of God comes, the power of God is manifested. And so when they were endued with power, was it so that people can uh, start to respect them and uh, be attracted to them? No. It's not contracting. It said, when you receive that power, you will expand my love in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. That is, you will be witnesses to the one who gave the power, to the one who is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Which is why when the Holy Spirit eventually comes on them in Acts chapter 2 and they spoke with other languages, what were they saying? They were declaring the wonderful works of God. In other words, now they have become the people of love. They were now declaring the love of God to him because they have received the spirit of love who gave them power. Which is why also when it says that believers receive the Holy Spirit, it says that we cry, Abba, Father, an affectionate description of how we feel about God. Abba, Father, because we have received his love and we have received the power of his love. Do you understand that when God is saying, seek my love, when, God, when we're saying pursue the love of God, this is how the power of God comes. In other words, what it is to be powerful in God's eyes is not what it is to be powerful in men's eyes. What it is to be powerful in God's eyes is ultimately possessing and utilizing the ability to be who he has created us to be. That is, to be lovers of God and lovers of people. Power in God's eyes is ultimately possessing and utilizing the ability to live as he created us to be. How? To be lovers of God and lovers of people. And that's why Paul's prayer, as he prays for power, he's also praying for love. That is my prayer for you as well. That is my prayer for myself, that as we pray to see the manifestation of God's power, what we should be seeking is the love of God. And how we see that power manifested? Well, that takes me to my second point. So my second point is the experience of love, the experience of love. What we can get from the first point is this. The reason why we have so many powerless Christians today, it's because we are not experiencing God's love. Very simple. And I use that word very advisedly. 
experiencing. I know some of us struggle with the word experiencing, but let me tell you something. You can know God's love theoretically and doctrinally and not experientially. And you better get used to that word because that is what Paul means. When Paul is trying to describe the love of God, notice he can use words, but he's not using words to describe it. He's not using words to describe it. In fact, he uses special dimensions. He says, he says that I want you to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep. He's trying to say this love, eh, I, I can't use words to describe it, but maybe if you, can, if you can see the measure of it, this is what it is. Or later he then says, again, just to prove that he's not just talking about words. He says in verse uh, uh, 19, I want you to know what is, uh, I want you to know what surpasses knowledge. Know this love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, he is not saying that this love cannot be known doctrinally or theoretically or that the love, that this love is going to uh, uh, oppose or be in contradiction to the description of the love, uh, the doctrinal description and theoretical description of the love. He's not. But he's saying that even when you know that, it is beyond it. It's why he wants you to know it, so that we can have power. You see, I can know whether a meal tastes nice or not through three ways. If somebody gives me um, a, 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 the instructions on how the meal is made and I know something about the scientific composition and the scientific mixture, or maybe I've been experienced enough, I know if you put 200 milligrams of this and 300 mils of this, oh, this should taste nice. That's a theoretical understanding of the taste of the food. Somebody can also tell me, oh, or maybe I get 10 people that tell me, you need to take this person's food, you need to take this person's food, you need to take... That is an empirical understanding of it. But also, I could just, what? Taste it. That is an experiential knowledge of the food. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's my prayer that you will taste, not just know theoretically, not just because people have told you, but you know the love of God. And I'm saying it is when you taste the love of God, when you experience the love of God, that all of a sudden you can start to manifest the power of God. But many times we run into a lack of manifestation of the power of God for two big reasons. Two big reasons. Because you see, the manifestation is really equals to the capacity plus the connection. And it's the capacity and connection problem, or capacity and connection problems that often lead to our lack of manifestation of power. Let's get into that. Capacity. Notice that it tells you why the purpose for this love's power. Follow the so that or the that. In verse 16, I pray that he may strengthen you with power so that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts. Or in verse 19, after he has said that, I pray that you may have power, 17 to 18. In verse 19, he then says, that or so that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. The reason that we are given this love's power is so that we can be filled with God. Strengthened through his spirit in your inner being or Christ dwelling in our hearts, verse 17, or being filled with the fullness of God. Basically, he's talking about the whole trinity. 
The purpose is so that we can be filled with the fullness of God. When that happens, power is being manifested. And then, this God, he says, he doesn't have a problem. The source, there is no problem with the source. Because he says he has glorious riches, verse 16. Or he has immeasurable ability, verse 20. So why is it that we don't often have, we don't often manifest his power? It's like, one of the rules my parents told us growing up is when you go for a party, eat at home first. Because you don't know if you get there, the food can finish or they may not treat you well, and then you'll be very unhappy at the party. But you see, I took a different route. When I was going for an Oambe, I went not full. Because you see, what my parents didn't do that I did, you know, because the young shall grow, is that I first would assess the Oambe I'm going to. I would assess the people. I know the people who are going to be there, and I know that they can't be a problem with food. Now imagine I went to this Oambe and let's say it was of Otumba so and so. I now went there full. And then people at the end of the party, everybody's talking about, man, the Continental was great. Your father was something else. The, uh, the, uh, uh, the what they call the Amala and Begiri thing. Uh, the Abula was wonderful. Ah, the drinks, everything. And I was also at that party. And I couldn't say anything. Why? Would I go and say the problem was that these people didn't have enough food? No, the source was not the problem. What was the problem? I had no capacity. I had no capacity. Our manifestation of power problem is not a source problem. It is a capacity problem. How much of God's power we display is dependent on how much capacity we possess for his love. He has glorious riches, immeasurable ability. The reason why we are not able to manifest his power is that we are filled with something else. He wants us to be filled with him, but we are filled with something else. One telling sign of a powerless Christian is one who no longer hungers for God or for the things of God. Just think about the model prayer. How does it start? Um, uh, um, 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 our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, that is hunger for his name to be hallowed, hunger for God. And then what's the next thing? Your kingdom come. Hunger for the things of God. You will lack power, even in your prayer life, if you are not first a lover of God, and therefore you are hungry. You need to have the capacity for God and for the things of God. Our manifestation of power problem is actually a, is not a source problem. It's a capacity problem. That's what 2 Timothy is talking about. He's saying we are powerless because we are now loving ourselves and we are loving the pleasure for ourselves. We are loving money. I want to ask you, are you still hungry to see people turn to Christ or your business is the thing that fills your mind all the time is the only thing that matters? Are you, are you satisfied with people believing false things about God? Or your sophisticated reputation in front of them is what is utmost in your mind. 
Are you hungry to see people renewed by Christ? Or you are being filled with Big Brother Niger or all forms of entertainment. If you do so, you will be powerless. Not because God doesn't have power, but because you have reduced capacity. But that's not the only thing. We need hunger, we need thirst if we want to see God's power, but there's another issue, and that's connection. You see, living in Nigeria, living in Lagos, it can be sometimes a bit of a traumatic experience growing up. Let's just call it what it is. Because it's not too long after a child is brought into this world. You know what happens when a child is brought into this world? Before, when they were in their mother's womb, what did they know? Darkness, isn't it? So when they're now brought into this world, they now see light. Wonderful. <laughs> God said, they let there be light. Until Nepal says there's no light. They experience darkness. It's a traumatic experience. But eventually, we can grow through our trauma. In fact, not just go through our trauma, we learn new skills. One of the, one of the rites of passage of every Nigerian guy, most Nigerian guys, or and some, sometimes ladies, is that we learn a certain skill. It has to do with generator. You see, most Nigerian guys, we know how to pour petrol into a generator. We learn eventually that you don't pour it this way, you pour it this way. Skill, out of trauma. We learn how to, you know, pull the thing. Turn one or two knobs, pull generator. And we also learn certain things to look out for. So sometimes when we pull our generator, we start it, what do we do? We go and we change over. When we change over, what do we expect to see? Light. But you become, one day you, you do the pulling thing, you change over, and you notice all of a sudden there's no light. Ah, why is there no light? Now an amateur will just be wondering, ah, ah, what's happening now? Why is there no light? I changed over, the thing is started, you know. But somebody who has been a little bit experienced will notice something. Not only is, it, is he measuring based on what he sees, he's measuring based on what he hears. He changed over, and when he changed over, he expects to hear a jump because the generator has just received load. And when he didn't hear that jump, he knew what the problem was. You know what it was? A wire was not connected, a connection problem. Yes, we may have the capacity that we need, but we still need to be connected to the source. Many of us live powerless Christian lives, morally, intellectually, and experientially, because we are not connected to God. Some of us have counseled many times. Let me tell you something. When somebody comes and they tell me this sin, this bad thing, they're going through this problem. Do you know what I'm always looking for? I see there's a connection problem. And so I'm looking for where the connection problem is. That is why you may come with a marriage problem to me. You may come with a lack of vision. Or maybe I call you in and say, why are you always irritable? It's I know really 90% of the time is a connection problem. So I ask you, how far with your devotions? You've not been regular at church. You're not connecting in worship. The problem we have many times as we live as powerless Christians is not with the source. It's that we are not connected to the source. 
You won't used to issue an OM, speak prophetically, but all of a sudden that has dried up. You once used to be um, uh, somebody that was self-controlled, but now you are you always throw temper tantrums. You once felt compassion for the poor and the vulnerable, but now you're arguing against whether we should help them or not. You once were filled with boldness and passion to speak about Christ, but now you become so timid. You are once the kind of person that used to encourage people, but now you are constantly criticizing people. You are once the kind of person that was so generous with little. Now that you have so much more, you are much more concerned about the pastors that are spending money. What has gone on? It is a connection problem. It is a connection problem. You used to pray for the sick and some of them sometimes were healed. Now you are arguing about doctrine, whether they can be healed or not. You have a connection problem. But I'm not here to condemn you. I'm trying to tell you this. If you did it before, you can do it again. In fact, by God's grace, you will do it again when you get connected to the source with the right capacity. There are hunger once again before God. And let us get connected. I'm not going to rehash how we should be connected. That is why we had this sermon series. We learned about our recovery for the love of God. We learned about connecting to God through community. We learned about dealing with distractions and then learning meditation. We learned about enjoying God by hiding in God. These are the ways you get connected. What you need to fight for now is all the temptations that stop you from being connected in that way. Why? Because that is the pathway to powerlessness. There is another power that wants to stop you from manifesting God's power. And he is going to do so by attacking your capacity problem and attacking you in your connection problem. Do not allow him. For God who wants you to connect in love with him, God who is calling you to be intimate with him, is saying if you do so, you will see a manifestation of my power. God is looking for people who are witnesses to him. The witnesses to him, they have the ability to live the life God has called them to live. Lovers of God and lovers of people. And when we are lovers of people, our character shows that we have the power of God. We are full of God. But also the gifts that he gives us, we we demonstrate extraordinary and sometimes ordinary things. But at the end of the day, what is happening? As we are manifesting God's power, people are receiving the love of God. Because we receive the love of God. That is why we can manifest his power. And this can happen once again for you. Because we grow in our intimacy with God. But I have to finish with this last point and takes me to the evidence of love again the third point now is the evidence of love i know some of us are saying maybe based on a lot of experiences that we've had so christianity is all about experiences manifestations right all, but you don't need christianity for that and i want to say wrong it's not just all about that in fact, Jesus warns about the different types. There are other people that are false teachers, false prophets. They may offer you these things, but they are not right. One isn't saying just have any experience. The experience is not apart from the truth of God. It is not in opposition or contradiction to it, but beyond it. This is so important. Jesus warns us about people in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. He says, look, some people will come and they'll say, Lord, Lord, do we not do all these extraordinary things in your name? And you'll say, depart from me. I never knew. So how do we know the difference between them? Well, it's really the difference between a wife and a babe. A wife and a babe. Like a wife and an affair. 
You see, both of them, you can pursue an intimate relationship with your wife and with the person that you have an affair with. But with the person that you have an affair with, there are two problems. One, it's not distinct. It's just not distinct. You can have one affair here, you can have two affairs, you can even have four affairs going on at the same time. And two, it's not safe. Because if people find out about the affair, it can destroy many of the other relationships. Relationship with your children, relationship with your wife, relationship with your friends, relationship with your church. Whereas with the wife, you have a distinct relationship. She signed on the dotted lines. And it is safe. Nobody is going to gossip about you showing public affection to your wife, are they? In other words, with our wives or with our husbands, we have an objective relationship, an objective relationship, and it forms the basis to pursue a subjectively loving relationship that is safe. It is distinct and it is safe because of the objective evidence of the love of that spouse they signed when they got married to you. And it's the same thing. When we say pursue intimacy with God, a subjectively growing intimacy with God, this, the pursuit of this relationship is going to be distinct and safe for it to really bring about God's power. Because other spiritual experiences, whether it is from other religions or it's from people who quote, you know, prophets all around. There are always so many people's prophets around. They are not safe. They are like affairs. You can have different experiences. There are many of them. They are real. I'm not saying that they can't give you power. They are real and they can give you all different kinds of displays of power. But they are neither safe nor distinct. How can you know which one is safe? How can you know this is a safe experience? How can you know these are safe ministries? How can you know this is a safe man of God or a safe woman of God? They have to be distinct. You need to see the objective evidence of God's love. Not just any kind of experiential love. But first, what is that experiential love based on? What is it built upon? It has to be built on the objective, experience, the objective evidence of God's love. Where can we find it? Remember what we said about the power of love and the love of power. You see, for many of us, when we pursue the love of power and when we do get power, we love it, the fact that people are attracted to us. But all we see is the respect, the supposed respect. What do you think God sees? God sees the attraction of sin. It is sin that is being put upon you and therefore the attraction of your condemnation. Because the love of power that has destroyed the world, it has destroyed relationships, it has taken people to war, the love of power. And so all God sees is the attraction, the contraction of condemnation. All of us in one way or the other, left to ourselves, we love power. And when God sees us, what does he see? He sees the contraction of condemnation. But God wanted to demonstrate his love towards us. Where does it, where, how is he going to, how are we going to attract the power of God's love while it is the love of power that is contracting to us? How do we get it? Well, this is 
the single most important thing you have to understand about the Christian faith. This is the heart of the Christian faith. This is what 1 John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. He says, this is how, this is objectively. Now we're using words. This is how God showed, how God demonstrated his love among us. Not just your experiential love. Not just your experiential love. Listen, you can't just tell me you know God irrespective of the things that the Bible says that because you just experienced God. How do I know? What is it rooted in? The Bible tells us. He, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his own one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the gospel of Christ. It is where the condemnation of our love for power and the power of God's love meet together. That is, God was demonstrating the power of his love for us while he was condemning Christ in our place. The sin of the world, the sin of the world because of the world's love for power came upon Christ so that Christ could give the power of God's love back to the world. Do you know Christ this way? It is on the basis of knowing in this way that you can then pursue more of the experiential love. It is on the basis of knowing Christ this way that you are able to demonstrate his power because that Jesus did not remain dead. In fact, he says, the power of God raised him from the dead. How do you think that happened? It was the spirit of God. He was bringing about a new creation, the same spirit that created this world that hovered around the face of the deep and God said let there be light that same spirit went into the grave of Christ God said let there be light and he rose from the dead it is that same spirit that comes to let you know the love of God that is in Christ do you know that love this is why this gospel Paul eventually says I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God, the love of God demonstrated in the gospel releases the power of God unto us and it is that power that he then says in verse 20, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work in us. The reason why all the glory in verse 21 goes to, in the church, goes to Jesus Christ because it is not our power. It is his power that is our work in us. Do you not want to see this power? Then come to Christ. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins. It was the love of power that, that made him condemn for you, but now he's releasing his power to you. We grow in love with God. Not because we first loved him, but because he loved us. And Christ was a sacrifice for us. And the Spirit also raised him from the dead for our own new lives. When your experience of God is rooted in this, when it is shaped by this, that is safe. And it is with this that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Listen, I have known, we have known of great revivals across the world where people were doing extraordinary miracles, where people were filled with extraordinary repentances. Over years, sweeping uh, waves of people, people coming from all places, people just speaking boldly about Christ, nations being transformed, communities being transformed because of an outpouring of God's spirit when people were doing were, were being 
pursuing intimacy with God, God released his power. There was always a release of power where there was a rediscovery of God's love. You can know it personally. We can know it together. We can see the power of God manifested when we start to pursue and experience an intimate relationship with God. I started by saying that if we pursue an intimate relationship with God for himself, it always yields amazing results. That's what Paul is saying here. I pray for power, but the power that enables you to grasp and know the love of God so that when that work is when that power is at work in you, God will do immeasurably more that we can imagine or think. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.